Okay, let's admit it, it's a rite of passage for parents and teenagers. Are those strange clothes and strange music a part of a phase or something more dangerous? There is a new trend in music that has bands advocating depression and suicide. It seems like one of the only certain things about living in society is that no matter how far we've come, every decade has its fair share of counterculture. Each one expresses the anxieties and criticisms of the era, serving as a pressure valve of sorts to help release some of the frustrations that build up when generations start noticing that the previous generation has sold them short. Sometimes countercultures arise simply because people feel stifled by the mainstream and need to rebel. Other times they rise up after decades or even centuries to hold society accountable for its dark past. But something that's true of each is that they all achieve these aims through expression, oftentimes through music. And there's something really special about music. It's such a unique way to demonstrate what words alone fail to express. A good beat can cause uncontrollable head bobbing and even inspire spontaneous dancing. A beautiful melody can float into your ear and cause your heart to flutter. And a calm chord progression can settle your nerves and improve your mood. Music has the ability to connect people, to serve as some kind of instant common ground for those who otherwise wouldn't be able to communicate with each other. It can transcend cultures, belief systems, and spoken language. It's no wonder that throughout history, music has always been an essential part of religion and spirituality, as well as a source of controversy. In fact, music has even been called the biggest tool of revolution. And that's pretty impressive for a bunch of ephemeral vibrating sound waves. It should also come as no surprise that a new music counterculture would emerge in the early to mid 2000s to express a new set of social anxieties. This was, drum roll please, Emo. Now, the word emo itself is kind of a slang term that originated as a derogatory way to describe people who seemed moody, depressed, or overly sensitive. And I don't know about y'all, and I'm gonna age myself a bit here, but when I was in high school and part of like the emo crowd, I was told emo was just short for emotional, but no one wanted to be called emo. That was the whole thing. We were all like part of it. We all dressed like it. We all listened to the music, but God help you if someone goes, oh, you're an emo. You're like, no, the fuck I'm not. But here we are. Now, emo sought to express and validate virtues like emotional sensitivity, introversion, alienation, gender confusion, and vulnerability, all of which were perceived as negative traits by the mainstream culture of the time. The emo genre, much like others before it, produced a wide range of music that many people hold close to their hearts even to this day. I have my own little private emo playlist of music of all my music from high school, and I still listen to it very regularly. I mean, how could it not have in all honesty? This is the subculture for pouring your heart out and really airing your darkest thoughts into music and poetry. Emo music itself had many subgenres, which could range from the more laid back like dashboard confessional to the wailing and layered guitars of My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy to more metal influenced bands like later on Black Veil Brides or even Every Time I Die. And of course, because you know I'm putting so much of myself into this opening of today's episode, you can't forget Finnish love metal band, Him. My absolute favorite. One day, maybe I'll get the heartogram tattooed. I've been thinking about it for 15 years. Maybe I should finally do it. But the point here is that there was plenty of variety in the emo music genre itself, and there was an array of moods that people could relate to within it. Chances are many of you related to or identified with the emo movement. 
Maybe you rocked a medium to long length asymmetrical haircut that draped down the front of your face, blocking out your eyes and making it easier to avoid contact with others. Maybe you wore black mascara and adorned yourself with an all black wardrobe. You know, maybe the pop of color when you were, you know, feeling spicy. Or maybe you had really strict parents and you weren't allowed to have any of that, but your heart was as black as hell. Or perhaps you simply found a counterculture outlet that empowered you to express feelings that mainstream society discouraged. And you know what? If you were emo or emo adjacent or even identified that way now, I think that's really awesome. The emo culture was and is important. And the main thing about subcultures or any culture for that matter is if you participate in them or you're a part of them in some way, they do greatly shape who you are. And this is why we become fiercely loyal to or defensive of certain aesthetics that we associate with. They become pieces of our identity. But identifying so closely with music that celebrates vulnerability and emotional expression can have its drawbacks. Finding out, for example, that one of your favorite musical artists is problematic can feel like a deeply personal betrayal. But regardless of how it feels, it's vitally important to hold such people accountable for their shittiness, especially considering the special impact that music does make in our lives. That's why today we're gonna be looking at one of the largest female-fronted hard rock emo bands of the early 2000s, Flyleaf. The band was formed from humble beginnings in the year 2000 by a group of young Belton, Texas natives, but went on to sell millions of albums, play huge national music festivals, and work with some of the biggest names in the music industry. Despite their mainstream success and their dark hard rock facade, however, the band now finds itself caught up in some very cringy Christian controversies. The house was dark and everyone had long since gone to bed. So it was just Pat Robertson on the 700 Club show and me. Eyeliner, uh, band t-shirts, girls wearing skirts, long stockings, uh, lots of black and white stripes. So if you start hearing this kind of music coming from your teen's room, do you need to worry about the dark moods that emo encourages? Because religion to me feels like a bunch of rules and just sucks the life out of everything. And I know everybody thinks that that word differently, but yeah, I wouldn't say that word, but yes, I did have an encounter with God that I didn't believe in. So I'm just gonna go ahead and put a trigger warning here for pretty much the entirety of this episode because today's episode is going to contain mentions of suicidal ideation and homophobia just kind of sprinkled throughout. So just a heads up on that today. And with that warning out of the way, hello everyone and welcome to The Corporate Casket. I'm the Illuminati and today we'll be discussing the band Flyleaf and in particular how their on-again, off-again lead singer Lacey Sturm, a so-called ex-lesbian, has recently come under fire for her alleged homophobia. This has led to scrutiny over these secretly evangelical Christian messages that have been apparently hidden in the band's lyrics. They've also garnered criticism over their associations with problematic organizations like the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Focus on the Family. I came out with an episode of Focus on the Family recently if you wanna take a look, but it's all bad. But here's the big question when it comes to, you know, talking about someone having an association with Focus on the Family. How deep does this all go? If there's anything I've learned from looking into topics that have anything to do with religion, it's that things tend to get a bit reactionary. And truthfully, that's fine. People do have a right to viscerally react to things. This flyleaf controversy really exploded on Twitter, TikTok, and Reddit, and that caused a stir on the internet. But we do need to do our due diligence and really check this thing out. As a former emo or elder emo, I don't know where I really belong anymore. I'm just 
older now. Um, obviously, my interest was highly piqued at finding out that Flyleaf was potentially like a huge Christian band in disguise. So I admit, I'm kind of doing this episode more out of personal interest and to present my findings to you. Normally, I like to keep a little bit more in topic, but every once in a while, something like this sparks up and I was like, well, 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 hold on a minute. I need to investigate this until I'm satisfied with the answers. So let's take a look at what I found. And we're gonna go ahead and start with talking about Flyleaf, the band as a concept. Now, something that's weird about this entire controversy is that people seem surprised to learn that Flyleaf is a Christian band. That was something I was always aware of. They were kind of in the same grouping as Skillet. And I just kind of assumed that they were a band that was composed of Christians, but they weren't a Christian band, if that makes sense. But the reality is, is when many people think about popular Christian music, they probably think of music that like overtly exalts God or music that uplifts the soul, which to be fair is also a pretty limited view of what Christian music is. But Flyleaf's music was pretty dark and heavy. Lacey screams her guts out when she sings like she's unloading a decade of trauma. They write songs about struggle, abuse, hopelessness, and uncertainty. Their music videos featured padded asylum rooms and blood dripping down walls for fuck's sake. One could be forgiven for not thinking of Flyleaf as a Christian band. But that's also kind of the thing. Their secret evangelism is almost conspiratorial. Their lyrics are almost never overtly Christian. It's only retrospectively after you learn about their devout Christianity that songs like I'm So Sick start to sound like a struggle against homosexual urges rather than any kind of rut or addiction. Regardless, it's kind of fucked up that they would compare homosexual urges to an addiction, like it's something to fight against or to be cured of. I mean, yeah, the lyrics are vague and open to interpretation, but if a song called I'm So Sick really is even remotely about grappling with homosexuality, then I think that's wrong. Many of their other song lyrics are similarly vague. Is Lacey singing about getting saved by Jesus in the song All Around Me, or is she simply pining after a lover who makes her feel alive? Song lyrics are super subjective anyway. Maybe Flyleaf isn't so much of a Christian band as it is a band of Christian musicians. Now, I could try to give them the benefit of the doubt and make that case. In the band's own words, quote, "'We are all Christians. "'We just don't label ourselves a Christian rock band. "'We don't want that label to stop people from liking us. "'Our music is for everybody.'" Nice. So they don't wanna come across as assholes. And you know what? I'm okay with assholes being assholes. Again, just be honest about it. That's the more Christian thing to do anyway, I think. But honestly, Christian themes and imagery have shown up in popular music since the beginning. Musical expression or artistic expression of any kind for that matter, unavoidably comes out filtered through cultural narratives and ideas. And let's face it, American culture is rife with Christian imagery, sayings, and concepts. After all, according to a 2022 survey conducted by the Pew Research Center, 64% of the US population identifies as Christian, but it's been much higher in the past. And even as recently as 2014, the figure was estimated to be about 70%. This means that naturally, many of our greatest musicians and songwriters were and are, whether they realize it or not, inspired by Christian themes. Christian imagery and mythology are woven into our social narratives, our stories, and our beliefs about love and relationships. So in many ways, music listeners are inundated by Christian ideas in the music they listen to. 
just as music artists are likely to spread those ideas, whether unwittingly or deliberately. But in the case of Flyleaf, the Christian ideals are totally intentional. Even their name has spiritual implications. According to an interview in Limelight Magazine, the band said, quote, "'A flyleaf is a blank page in the front and back of a book where you sign your dedication. If you look at your life like a story, that blank page is like a moment of clarity before you are born and after you die. It's kind of your moment with God, a moment that touches eternity.'" And yes, before someone in the comments wants to call me on it, I also know that the band started under the name Passerby and had to change it for legal reasons and yada, yada, yada. But the Flyleaf name did end up having some spiritual significance. I don't want this to become some biography of the band, so let's just kind of get back on track, shall we? Here's the point. Flyleaf is a band of spiritual people, but what's bad about that? Well, as I alluded to earlier, their secretive sidestepping of their Christianity kind of hurts their credibility. And it's actually made worse by the fact that such avoidance is intentional. Earlier in that same Limelight article I just mentioned, the band also said this, quote, "'This may sound coarse, "'but we don't want the designation of Christian rock "'to stop people from liking us. "'I hope our music does point them towards faith. "'I would hope they listen to it "'and become more aware of what's out there "'in the spiritual realm. "'That is the goal of our band. God gave us everything we have and it's entwined in our nature to try and talk about him and make him known. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds a little bit like the band not only has Christian evangelical objectives, but they're also trying to actively hide those objectives. Sure, the phrase evangelical objectives may seem a bit harsh considering all they said was that they hope people become more aware of their specific conceptualization of God. But that goal seems a little more evangelical than they probably realize. To me, it seems a bit disingenuous to be so hush-hush about your secret conversion attempts. Like, just come out and be Christian. Have some fucking integrity. Plenty of other bands have crossed over into the mainstream while acknowledging their Christian underpinnings. Bands like Creed, Sixpence, None the Richer, and Switchfoot have seen tremendous success, and some are even multi-platinum selling and Grammy award-winning artists and they did just fine while working on distinctly Christian career paths. They played Christian festivals, they marketed to Christian demographics, and they worked with Christian promoters and record labels. But Flyleaf didn't do that. Flyleaf chose to distance themselves from overtly Christian music. Flyleaf didn't come up through the Christian music scene or target Christians to build a loyal following, though they have been nominated for multiple Dove Awards, which is basically the Christian music Grammys. They did things the good old secular way instead. They hustled their asses off, performing as often as they could, sleeping for days on end in their tiny van and networking with as many people as possible. They put in their time, honing their craft and building a strong local following that enabled them to book so many shows around their home state of Texas. And it was only a matter of time before they were opening shows for notable bands like Bowling for Soup and Fishbone and playing huge music festivals like South by Southwest. And then when they had the opportunity to sign a major record deal, they chose not to sign with a notable Christian-based record label called Wind Up Records. Instead, they ended up signing with Octone Records, the label that brought us Maroon 5 and The Hives. When they recorded the first demos for the album, they worked with big names like Rick Parashar, who was famous for producing some of the most iconic Seattle grunge albums of all time. Flyleaf even had a song in the Guitar Hero video game. 
And when they hit the road, they didn't play at church conventions or on Christian tours, no. They played some of the biggest national summer festivals in the 2000s, including main stage performances at the Family Values Tour in 2006 and 2007, which is a festival that has traditionally attracted hardcore alternative types. And this festival in particular has booked such artists like Orgy, Corn, Ice Cube, Limp Biscuit, and Insane Clown Posse. Now, aside from major festivals, Flyleaf also toured with and befriended some of the least Christian-like bands of the 2000s, such as Stained and Disturbed. Now, there is a phrase out there that's the whole, you are the company you keep, and I'm going to have a hard time seeing how Disturbed and Orgy align with God's plan. But jokes aside, it really does bug me that they want to evangelize with their music, but they want to cover that up. It feels like a bait and switch, like a sleazy sales tactic that promises one thing, but gives you another. Either be an honest mainstream band that just so happens to be Christian, like Paramore, for example, or be a proud Christian band. Now, let me take a brief moment here to point out that Paramore, an extremely successful contemporary of Flyleaf's, does the whole band of Christians, but not a Christian band thing really well. Members of the band have been very open about their Christianity, even praying to Jesus before every show, despite the fact that they have written and performed several songs that seem to compromise Christian ideals. They're so incredibly Christian, in fact, that founding members Josh and Zach Farrow left the band in 2010 because they claimed that some of their lyrics contradicted their faith, and even lead singer Haley Williams has refused to sing their big hit Misery Business because of the word whore in the lyrics and also because of the whole woman attacking woman narrative in the song, which I know according to TikTok and stuff, and I've seen the videos, she did perform the song recently for like the first time in like over a decade, but you get my point. She doesn't perform that song like ever. But those incidents had more to do with band members' personal issues than say with the whole objective or strategy of the band. Paramore's music and their career trajectory are more worldly and when I say this, I mean this in the best possible way, emotionally self-serving than Flyleaf's. They're not trying to bait and switch anybody. And I suppose that's actually the most disappointing thing of all when we're talking about Flyleaf. Flyleaf really had the potential to be this amazing, powerful, female-fronted band in an industry that was oozing with toxic masculinity. Lacey in particular could have been the kind of strong female LGBTQ role model that the world needed. And instead she became one of the most problematic of them all. Now, before we continue on to talk about the band's ties with focus on the family and homophobia and conversion therapy and all of those very lovely and not terrifying topics at all, I'm gonna take a quick moment to place today's sponsor here, give you a minute to breathe, and then we're gonna jump right back into it. In a landscape where free and fast shipping is the norm, it can be hard for smaller e-commerce businesses to compete. Keep yourself competitive with ShipStation because when you use ShipStation, you can lower your shipping costs, you can make returns super easy, and of course, keep your customers happy. ShipStation makes it easy to grow your business by handling your orders from every marketplace in one simple dashboard, and it is super simple. ShipStation effortlessly integrates everywhere you sell online, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and more. You manage everything from everywhere in one dashboard, automate routine shipping tasks, print your shipping labels, easily compare rates and delivery times so that you can optimize every shipment every time. And you can get up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. 
And if that's not enough, you can use my promo code to try ShipStation for free for two months. And did you know that over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation? And 98% of those companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. So keep your business growing all year long with ShipStation. Use my promo code CASKET today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code CASKET. for that young person who feels despair, may not feel loved. We're gonna talk about those deep heart issues today, which makes me proud to be here at Focus on the Family. Mm -hmm. Lacey, let me simply welcome you back to the program. Thank you. I mean, I'm already in tears and that's not fair. He's holy and his love is so overwhelming, so overpowering, so all-consuming that the questions and the weight and everything, it, it, it's like turning the- The internet is on its newest so-called crusade, trying to cancel Lacey Sturm. In the past couple years, she has been accused of being anti-LGBT and advocating for conversion therapy. According to a June 2021 anti-flyleaf Twitter thread posted during Pride Month, quote, aside from them being a Christian band, did you know Flyleaf has always been extremely homophobic? Former lead singer Lacey Sturm is an ex-gay who was put through conversion therapy and claims religion saved her from herself, AKA her sexuality. And that's a pretty serious and weighty claim and a pretty fucked up spin on the whole save me from myself cliche that was all the rage in the late 90s and early 2000s. But the Twitter user goes on to elaborate even further saying, a lot of Flyleaf's most popular songs are centered around her struggle with religion and sexual orientation. Not only that, but Sturm stated numerous times back in the day that she'd give up on life if she didn't have Jesus, which is a sad thing to say, but it can be assumed that she'd give up because in her mind, that means she'd go back to being a lesbian. Directly from her book, she claims that her conversion to Christianity finally gave her a way out of sin and God cured her homosexuality. And those are some pretty damning accusations and in typical social media fashion, they took off and spread like wildfire. But is any of it true? Is Lacey, and by extension Flyleaf, really that terrible? Well, to answer that, we have to dig a little deeper than what people are saying on social media. And fortunately for us, the previous Twitter tirade challenged us to do just that. Quote, if you don't believe it, type her book title into Google. It's called The Reason, How I Discovered a Life Worth Living For. So the book seems like a good place to start then. The book was written in 2014, soon after Lacey actually left Flyleaf, and it's an autobiography of sorts that functions more like an evangelical testimony. In the book, Lacey tells the story about back when she was a moody, miserable atheist, she had planned to kill herself, but her grandmother forced her to go to church, and after a screaming match and much resistance, she found the reason to live. Spoiler alert, Jesus. Jesus was the reason, apparently. I was 10 years old. I was supposed to be asleep on Gramps' itchy brown tweed couch, but the TV was on. I can never sleep when the TV is on. The house was dark and everyone had long since gone to bed. So it was just Pat Robertson on the 700 Club show. She then shares her truly tragic backstory, which involves years of physical abuse, drug use, suicide attempts, just some really solidly dark stuff. 
But mostly the book is about how she overcame all these dark things and ultimately decided not to commit suicide all because of her conversion to Christianity. A cursory scan of the book doesn't actually reveal any anti-gay sentiments, no God saving her from her sexuality, just like the song lyrics before. Sure, you could read into what she's saying, but there's nothing very obvious. There were also lots of Christian articles reviewing the book, as well as interviews with Lacey herself, all with headlines along the lines of, Lacey Sturm found Jesus and left suicide, drugs, and homosexuality behind. And oh boy, sounds pretty ugly. But once you delve into those articles, you realize that the sensational title was really just about clickbait. The topic of homosexuality never actually comes up. I find it rather creepy and backwards, however, that these Christian publications want to sell us that. Like they're putting words in her mouth because they actually want to promote the idea of leaving homosexuality for Jesus. Last I checked, lying was not a very Christian thing to do, but here we are anyway. Lacey also doesn't overtly speak out against homosexuality in the book. As this excerpt that Twitter user at Jazz Shares shows, Lacey recalls her lesbian relationship somberly, not because she feels guilty about it or thinks it's a sin, but because that particular relationship was codependent and steeped in drugs and partying. As she tells it, Lacey and her partner were trauma bonded, but God squeezed her heart about her relationship, which led her to believe that leaving it was for the best. Despite the whole God getting a bit too handsy thing, it really sounds like Lacey's talking about how she realized she needed to end her toxic relationship because it wasn't good for either of them. And truthfully, that seems pretty reasonable to me. But here's the thing. Maybe there's nothing overtly anti-LGBT in the book or anything she talks or sings about. But one aspect of homophobia is the phobic part of the word. Phobias have to do with fears and people have many coping mechanisms for fear. We often equate homophobia with hate or malice, but one way to cope with fear is to ignore it and just sidestep it. And Lacey avoids identity terminology as a whole. She never outright supports the LGBT community. She claims to love everyone, but for me, the claim is hollow if it's not backed up by legitimate support. Otherwise, her claim that she loves everyone is nothing more than a thinly veiled version of loving the sinner, hating the sin. Also, in sections of her book where she's talking about reasons for leaving her girlfriend, her rationale sounds suspiciously conversion therapy-esque. She says things like, quote, I knew how much deeper and more perfectly God could love and that God had saved her life, so she really had to choose him. It all sounds a little bit like conversion therapy rhetoric, but that's just some food for thought because that's just an opinion. But if that's too much conjecture or it's not scandalous enough for you, well, don't worry, it gets worse because it always does. Peter McConnell, and most importantly, thank you to the entire Graham family for honoring us with your presence here today. Thank you. In the spring of 1934, Billy Graham's father allowed a group of Up until now, we've seen that Lacey essentially avoids speaking about LGBTQ topics altogether, except for acknowledging that she once had a girlfriend. We've also seen that despite the social media backlash and media attention she received for allegedly being anti-LGBTQ, she never overtly promotes conversion therapy, nor does she speak out in support of the LGBTQ community. It's hard to condemn someone for something they're not actually saying, but people speak in other ways than just words or maybe people's actions speak louder than words. And for Lacey, the causes she has chosen to support and actively promote may speak more to her actual views on these matters. 
You see, there's this concept in legal philosophy known as tacit approval, which basically means that if a person participates in something, their participation implies agreement or approval of said thing. So basically, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. And Lacey's friends include anti-Semitic and homophobic assholes like Billy Graham and Focus on the Family. Lacey has always been closely tied with Billy Graham's family and various public entities for nearly a decade. The late Billy Graham, who died in 2018, just shy of his 100th birthday, was one of the most influential religious personalities of the 20th century. He was colloquially referred to as the Protestant Pope and also America's pastor, and in his early days was a high profile civil rights advocate. Eventually, Graham got involved in high level politics and as you might expect, things got ickier. Despite sometimes serving as a foreign diplomat to countries with whom America had strained relations and serving as an intermediary between Republicans and Democrats, Billy became closely aligned with political conservatism and therefore actively opposed same-sex marriage and abortion. He even got caught making anti-Semitic comments with Richard Nixon. Anti-Semitism is more, stronger than we think, you know. They just, it's, it's unfortunate, but this has happened to the Jews, it happened in Spain, it's happened in Germany, it's happening, and now it's gonna happen in America if these people don't start behaving. Because be of his high visibility and political involvement, many have accused Billy Graham of reinvigorating political activism among Christian fundamentalists, eventually blazing a trail for alt-right movements and the election of Donald Trump. Billy would go on to say that he regretted getting involved in politics, but his son, Franklin Graham, would go on to unabashedly support conservative hardliners. Sounds like a very tolerant and empathetic group of folks, right? Now, interestingly, in 2013, Lacey participated significantly in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association's promotional video, The Cross, which can be found chopped up into a series of videos on YouTube. So when my husband and I came to the Billy Graham Library and got to pay respects to Billy Graham. There are interview segments with her that are a little bit cringy, featuring Lacey gushing about how amazing Billy Graham was while footage and sound clips of Graham are spliced in throughout. Lacey was also a repeated performer in Franklin Graham's evangelistic tours in 2011 and 2012. She also contributed two songs to the soundtrack of the video, the outro song, Mercy Tree, and another song named after her book, The Reason. All of it. This is the most important thing that we can say. That there are Later in 2018, the year of Billy Graham's death, Lacey released a music video for her 2016 song, The Soldier, that commemorated Graham's life and works. So much for tacit agreement, Lacey's crushing on Billy Graham a little too hard. Lacey has also promoted Focus on the Family and is even a featured celebrity on their website. She's provided content for the ministry, including blogs, interviews, and podcast appearances. Focus on the Family is a long-running media ministry known for its daytime radio show. Your spirit and your desire to reach those people that don't know the Lord. Mm. And we're gonna talk more about that in a minute. Their stated um, mission is to nurture and affirm, quote, the God-ordained institution of the family by providing Bible-based guidance and advice about marriage and family situations. Focus on the family has been criticized for parading as an institution that provides marriage counseling or therapy, when in fact, their advice actually runs counter to actual therapeutic norms. To be here in, in uh, Focus on the family, this is home for a lot of you and those of us who work with Focus, let me ask how many of you are here because either your friends, your family, uh, pastors, parents are dealing with the issue of homosexuality. 
Sometimes when people hear my story, they also were and still are extremely anti-LGBTQ. They actively promote conversion therapy and had for many years run a national tour called Love One Out that preached same-sex attraction was preventable and treatable. The organization persists teaching this rhetoric even as other leading organizations have closed and apologized for the harm they've caused. They've also raised over $515 million and invested that money in anti-LGBTQ public education campaigns and political candidates. And there's kind of the meat of the matter. Regardless of the lack of concrete evidence for her homophobia, Lacey Sturm is guilty by association and she actively associates. And that makes Flyleaf the band guilty by extension, especially since they welcomed her back into the fold in 2022. And it's not like this information was hard to find. And since, you know, I assume they have a more personal relationship with her than I do, uh, I assume this information was readily available and they knew it and still welcomed her back. So in my eyes, they know and they approve of it too. Guilty by association. And truthfully, this is all just really disappointing, especially since Flyleaf and, you know, Lacey could have been strong role models and advocates for the LGBTQ community. They could have served as this amazing bridge between the Christian community and the LGBTQ community, but maybe deep down, subconsciously, they feel that disappointment. Maybe that's why Lacey feels so sick. But with all of that being said, that is where we are going to end today's episode. I hope you learned something new. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. I wanna thank you for spending some of your time here with me today. I know there's a million and a half things you could be doing and you spent some of it here with me. So thank you. And as always, I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Investigates whether this kind of music can be dangerous for your teenager. Bob joins us now. Like this is more like, I love my girlfriend. It sucks that she broke up with me. Emo is more like, my girlfriend broke up with me. I'm gonna go kill myself now. It's not just dark feelings. 